Welcome to the Running After 40 podcast, the podcast about all things related to running at 40 and beyond, produced by www.runningwithgrit.com. We help you stay physically healthy and emotionally strong at any running pace. I'm Sarah, your host, and a wife, a full-time working mom with three kids, three dogs, and a lifetime passion for running. Whether you are a veteran runner looking to maximize your times as a master runner or a brand new jogger starting in your 40s, 50s, or any age, this podcast will be there for your journey. I want to share stories, secrets, and strategies for success. This includes mistakes and lessons learned, all related to running past age 40. Let's hit the play button together and hit the roads as runners with grit after age 40. Hey, welcome to episode 49 of the Running After Age 40 podcast. Today, I have a special guest that I met through the podcast, and he has been willing to come on and share with us his story. His name is Joe, and he is training for his 48th marathon. Uh, And I will let him introduce himself, tell us a little bit about uh, his background and just how he got into running, and then we will... Uh, learn just all about some different stories that he has and some wisdom he has to share with us. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's absolutely a pleasure to be on your show. I love it. Um, if you're looking history, I didn't really start running till my mid-20s. Okay. And I was actually um, on a bet. Okay. Uh, at that time, I'm a lawyer right now by trade. I have my own law firm. I've had that for two and a half decades. And of course, I report to my senior partner, which is my wife, who's also my best friend. So that's just how it goes. But one of my managers of my stores back then made me a bet because I was certainly not physically active that I couldn't run a 20 kilometer race at the Toronto Zoo. Now, I should explain I'm, I'm a dual citizen. I am Canadian and American. Okay. So if needed, I am bilingual. I speak English and American, in this case, you need both. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I took on this idea of running the 20 kilometer thinking as a, you know, that young, I could do anything. So sure enough, I went out. The Toronto Zoo is a very hilly course, and I had never run before. Oh my God. So I took off with the pack. And for the first half kilometer, I thought I was doing quite well. By three quarters of a kilometer, I thought, oh, my God. And by one kilometer, it was like, what am I doing here? But I was determined to finish uh, because I had made a bet, and it was a lunch bet, so you have to finish. By 17 kilometers, I was dying. I, I could barely walk, barely move, but I wasn't going to finish. And all of a sudden, the, many of the runners who, uh, the vast majority that passed me, yeah. many of them came back um, to actually greet me and walk me in so I could finish the race. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a wonderful community and what a great lifestyle. And I confess, it got me hooked. Wow. So from there, I started more seriously training. By 1980, I did my first marathon, which was the Orange Bowl Marathon in Miami. Um, by 83, I actually qualified and did the Boston Marathon. Wow. Back then, the only qualifying time for men was two hours and 50 minutes. Wow. And at a younger body at a younger age, yeah. I was fortunate enough to do a 249.53 and just barely get in. I've been under 250 twice. Nice. And I, I should explain that I don't look like your tall, lean, typical, if you can call a typical recreational runner. Um, I look more like Yogi Bear than I do the Roadrunner. So a little historical context. 
but I still run. So it got me hooked on on running from there on. And I would run a number of marathons since. Um, in the 2000s, I was actually training runners through the Jeff Galloway method using five yeah. minutes run, a minute walk. That's when the run walk was very popular. And uh, by 2012, I was prepared to do the Boston Marathon again. And I'd gone through hard issues, but fortunately I came through that. And I should explain that I was adopted when I was a few days old. So I don't really know my genetic background. Okay. So whatever comes up is usually a surprise. You know, the heart I managed to deal with, but just prior to heading off to the 2012 Boston Marathon, I was told that I had prostate cancer. It was at the very peak of the G. Gleason scale, which means extremely serious. And my odds were not that great. Okay. You know, so they wanted to schedule the operation to take out the prostate called a radical prostatectomy. And I said, well, I want to, I want to schedule with you, but I have to run the Boston Marathon first. Heck yeah. Uh-huh. Now, only, only runners will understand why you <laughs> have to do that. You know, in the midst of this comment, and my comment to my wife was that, look, I don't know if I'm going to get back again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've run five Bostons before then. This will be my sixth Boston, but this may be my last shot. So reluctantly and, you know, with her usual enthusiasm, which is you're such a jerk face, we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That year, that year, the weather was horrendous. We had the heat index hitting up into heat getting into the 80s, the heat index hitting into the 90s. They allowed many runners to defer till the following year. About 4,000 did. Sadly, that was the 2013 bombing. But uh, I did go into the race. The deal I had with my wife was besides meeting her along the course, was that I'd stop in the medical tents and just mm-hmm. check out you know, my, my heart rate, make sure I was okay. And I said, if it's bad at any point, okay, I'm done. At least I want to have a chance to take a shot at it. Definitely. And I went through it, and it was slow. By by 10 kilometers, I was already wasted. And I knew that this was going to be a PW, personal worst, but I was determined. Absolutely. Now, uh, she came with my daughter at that point, um, who ironically was just a baby at that point and was wearing a bib that said, I'm in training for the 2025 Boston Marathon, which I thought was cute. Um, So I got myself through the hills of Newton. I'm heading up Heartbreak Hill. I saw my wife and my daughter at the top of Heartbreak Hill. And at that point, I told her, I said, you know what? I've got five and a half miles left to go through Brookline. I can make it even if I walk. I'm going to finish this thing from hell or high water. I just want to finish. And, and, and my attitude with runs, you know, I've been, when I was younger, I was very competitive. At this age, you know, even at that time in 2012, the reality was is that, you know, I've slowed up the heat, of course completely wiped me out but i didn't care i was on the course i was enjoying the people i was chatting with the you know my fellow runners it was the greatest feeling and just the feeling of being out there no matter what i was going to have to face i knew it wasn't going to be very good i was out there yep so i took off from them i said i'll meet you at the the meeting zone you know and i'm I'm gonna make this is my dream i want to finish boston no matter what so as it turned out by complete happenstance my wife was able to find a parking space of all places right near the 25 mile marker. Very unusual. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as I'm running and running is being an exaggeration at that point, 
uh, I actually met them at mile 25. And that ESPN article is actually a picture of me at mile 25. Um, And they jumped in into the race with me. And I will tell you, Sarah, it was the greatest feeling with everything going on in my health at that point, with, with this doom on the horizon, to be able to run the last mile of 385 yards with my wife and my daughter. It was so special. Amazing. When we turned onto Boylston Street, my daughter, of course, being a kid, she took off. You know, um, mm-hmm. as, much as, as much as she had that, at that point, as much as she could. Um, and I, 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 oh, I'm sorry, she's wearing a bib. That was in 1996, not for this race, not for 2012. But she took off and I, I ran with my wife and we were holding hands. And when we finished the race, when I got through the finish line, she just gave me the biggest hug. We didn't say a word. Then she looked up at me with those gorgeous brown eyes and just said, you did it. And that, to me, epitomized everything. Yep. Worst time ever for a marathon. Toughest race I've ever had to go through. Wow. But I was there with the love of my life and my daughter, and I finished the race. Now. There is a bit of a humorous story to it because the year before Jeffrey Mutai was uh, was the winner of the race and ran in world record pace, even though Boston's officially down uh, down um, down race, mm-hmm. so it doesn't necessarily count. But he was a world record. It was the, past yeah. world. the year that I ran in 2012, he cramped up uh, because of the heat at mile 18. Which means on paper, on paper, even though the time was different, yeah. I officially passed the Kenyan winner in yeah. the Boston Marathon and beat him to the finish. Yes. My, my grandchildren okay. will hear that story. It will be incredibly embellished. As they should. Yes. That is a wonderful story. I love it. So I wonder. So I did I, have the operation. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. did have the operation. It, it was okay. successful. It was there were some really dicey times there where it was going to be tough to get through. Um, because of the size of the tumor, it was on the opposite side of the prostate. They took the prostate out. They were concerned about cells that would have left the prostate. So I got to have a wonderful year of radiation, which in the middle of that, I still ran the Winterman Marathon uh, in Ottawa, Canada, in, in, in blizzard cold weather, just because I just thought I would do it. And I kept running through radiation. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, what's there's no issue with running through radiation because I, I know I'm so nuclear, I'm going to melt all the snow around me, so it should be easy. <laughs> uh, but I got through it and I got the cancer back into remission. Oh. I I want to stop you for just a second. And I mean, when you tell the story, it always sounds, especially like the part about finishing you with your wife. And I, you know, the part though, and I understand like it was hot that day and I can't even imagine, but even just the training and then the thought that you're going to run during radiation, like, you know, 99.999% of the people are going to be, you know, at home and watching movies and, and, you know, I don't want to say a pity party because I've never had anything like this happen. So I probably react like that too, but like, how did you get yourself like mindset wise? And maybe it started back in your twenties. Like what, what is it about you that, you know, even when you found out when you had cancer or that that it was going to be hot the day of the race, because that would have been a really good excuse to be like, you know what, it might not be, you know, the right one to do. Like, like, where do you get that internal drive? 
Well, I guess, and I, I do have a second bout of cancer. We'll talk about that after. But mm-hmm. I've always taken the attitude that I have a choice. Mm-hmm. And the choice is I let the disease control me or I control it. Now, I can't change my health scenario. I can't make the cancer disappear and all that. But I can get out of bed. I can get dressed. And I can go out and I can do something. Yeah. And running was my way. Now, I've done, I do a lot of crazy things from river rafting to, to mountain climbing mm-hmm. and a lot of things I can't do well. Uh, horseback riding, the horses look at me like, oh my God, I got the short, short straw. I got him. You know, I like Billy Crystal on a bad day. But I try it anyway. But the motivation really was a combination of wanting to take control. And I think it's very, very easy. And you're right about the pity party. It's easy to let it take over you, you know, and let that control your life. And that's not the lifestyle that we runners have. We take control. We have the tenacity to train all the time, even in times when it's not so great and the weather's not so great. And the desire to, to live and enjoy life. And I had a number of wonderful, wonderful friends who were there with me and being incredibly supportive and that would come with me. So, and my wife, of course, is is my number one supporter. Mm-hmm. So, those people themselves also experiences that I have during these races, where the people that I meet, the lifestyle they live, the attitude they have, is so incredibly encouraging that it just says, "I want to be part of this, and I don't want to miss out. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lay in bed. I don't want, any day is is a day that's missed. I want to take control." And in the end, I'm not going to necessarily feel better in terms of the illness. Yeah. But mentally, I'm going to feel in charge. And I think that was the whole idea. Yeah, I love it. Did you have support from your physicians? I was just curious, like from the medical perspective. Oh, my doctors, my doctors thought I was all nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, but once they got to know me, they realized, okay, we know he's going to do it anyway. So adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. And there, there have actually been studies done very recently, one out of Israel this year, that show that exercise, cardio exercise in particular, mm-hmm. um, can really help you in your recovery and your survival rate. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is attitude. Yeah. I've always had a, a positive attitude. You know, I'm 68 years old, not a young pup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm never going to be as fast as I was when I was competitive. I've never been really competitive. I've been more of the goofball type where my my age has advanced. My humor has stayed at 14 years old. It will never change. But <laughs> I mean, you, you're competitive. You ran Boston, you know, so don't sell yourself short. But I understand, too, like as you get older, that, I mean, our time slow down. So it is what it is. Yeah, definitely. I've been fortunate. I do a lot of international travel. So I I run six Bostons, three New Yorks, two Chicago, London, Berlin, uh, Rome, Tromso, Bordeaux, Mm -hmm. Bermuda. So I I do like traveling and running. It's, in fact, it's all my wife's fault (laughs) because, yeah, at our wedding, I let her choose the um, theme song for our wedding dance. Yeah. You know, fellow lawyer, you know, she's a senior partner, so I have to do that. So she chose I the song I will show you the world from Aladdin. Um, but as a fellow lawyer, she should have read the fine print, which was I will show you the world while doing races. Oh, that's good. So she should have known. She should have known, you know. But you know, it, the other thing too, Sarah, is that it's people that really inspire me so much. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my fondest memories was in the Rome Marathon. I had started off, it was very, very tough for me because I hit the cobblestones in Rome and I went flying like oh. so many did. It's one of the worst parts of the Rome race. Okay. Although even when I fell, so many people would come around to make sure I was okay. Fellow runners who stopped their race to check on me, which oh. I thought was wonderful. But towards the latter 10 kilometers, you know, as I was at the back of the pack and, and still plugging away, this is you know, post my first cancer. Um, I was running with one young lady that I met who's from South Africa, and we were chatting back and forth. And then she said, Excuse me, but we just passed a girl who was clearly, clearly struggling. And she says, Do you mind? She says, I just want to go see if she's okay. I said, Of course not. We both turned around in the middle of a race, the middle of the marathon. And ran back to this girl to see how she was doing. And she was getting a little pale. She was getting a little in rough shape. So I ran over to the aqueduct, got some water for her. My friend from South Africa gave her some some salt pills. And we had her run with us using the Galloway run-walk method. And all three of us, you know, were, were plugging away and getting to the finish. But I thought the spirit and the attitude this lady from South Africa had to stop her race in the middle of whatever her time frame was that she was trying to do to help somebody else. That says so much about what our sport is about. Yeah. Uh, I presume they finished. I lost track of them around kilometer 38, 39. My wife met me then and I ran with her to the end of the race, but I'm sure they finished. But my memory of that race, and and I tell people this all the time, I I finished 47 some odd marathons, over a thousand races. Yeah, I'll remember the medal and I'll remember the, the, the finish, but the instance that happened, the people that I meet, the the zeal that I have for it and the lifestyle, that's what I remember about the races. Those are my memories. And that's what I've always wanted to keep going. I don't want to lose. Yeah, I love it. And I think that it's it is everything. I mean, that it was one of the reasons that I got into running as well. And, and my husband and I met through running. So there's all about the people and I we used to have really active running groups. We don't so much anymore. Um, but it's something that I'm looking forward to doing as my kids are older and just time allows too. I uh I wanted to ask, you know, you briefly mentioned it. So the second bout of cancer, like how did that come across? Like what was the time frame and and how did your mindset change at all? Like the second time, you know, compared to the first, or was it just that same like kind of power that you took into the first time? Yeah, it was basically what was happening is they were testing me every few months to see uh-huh. because um, since my first cancer, there is a strong uh, reoccurrence that occurs because some cells, they tell you, manage to get out and they remain dormant for a long time. And when that, when you least expect it, they pop up again. And my cancer was particularly aggressive. Mm-hmm. So I went into the doctor's office and found out that, yes, uh, it's back. Being an aggressive cancer, they didn't know where it was. They couldn't pinpoint its exact location. But we both knew that once it starts spreading, that's pretty much the end of the ballgame. Okay. And we looked at different ways of handling it. And they said, look, we can put you through the next 10 months of chemotherapy, daily chemotherapy uh, to survive this. And it's not going to be pleasant. And it wasn't. But I took the attitude, I still want to be sticking around here. Um, and whatever it takes to survive is what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So they started chemotherapy with me um i will tell you sarah it was no pleasure 
I would wake up in the morning. The only way to describe how I felt is if when you've got the flu and you've got a fever and every part of your body aches, that's how I'd wake up in the morning. And my first temptation, you know, very honestly, was I just want to lie in bed all day. And a lot of people do that. I don't blame them. Um, But I forced myself out. I grabbed something quick to eat and barely get it done because my stomach was totally nauseous. Uh, I would get dressed and I would go out for my run. And the first kilometer or two, uh, basically, I have felt better at mile 25 of a marathon than I felt the first two kilometers. I was dead meat. But over time, the, the, the soreness and the, the aches wouldn't go away, but my attitude would start to change. Once again, I, I felt like I was basically in control. I was, I was the one who was deciding what to do, when to go, how fast I wanted to go. Uh, I'd run sometimes with friends of mine. I have one young lady I run with who's a scientist and an engineer. Brilliant. We'd have great deep conversations, keep my mind off it. Uh, and as a result, you know, by the daily running and by that, my attitude would stay positive. I even ran a few virtual marathons. I did the London virtual that got into the World Book of Records, which was kind of cool. It was my second time being in the Book of Records. Uh, and my doctors would just shake their head. Like, how do you, how do you do that? And uh, it was just, I felt better by the end of that run, psychologically, and I can get through the day. And I continued doing that till I rang the bell, as they say, when I finished my cancer. Mm-hmm. I was also told that I would have two months of recovery for every month of chemotherapy, and I'm still going through that now. Okay. Uh, but I continue running. I just finished the Chicago Marathon uh, in last last season. I have the Eugene Marathon coming up in the fall, probably doing Victoria Marathon, oh, sorry, in the spring, probably doing the Victoria Marathon in the fall. And my plans are to get my six star, six star at Tokyo in 2024. I've got, I'll be, I'll be there for that one. That'll be my 50th marathon before I hit 70. That's kind of a quiet goal. But if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, I'm fine with that too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, to me, Sarah, attitude, uh, especially when you're older, attitude is everything. You, you can't, there, there is a positive. Um, you will always finish in any small race, not the big ones like Chicago or Peachtree for the 10K or that, or, but any of the small races, you know that no matter what happens, you're going to finish in the top 10 because okay. there's only usually about 10 people left that at your age are still running uh, okay. for those races. So uh, I can remember a race I did with a friend of mine, Rick, who's now in British Columbia, and it was a smaller race, and we're about the seven-and-a-half-kilometer mark. And Rick is saying, Joe, I'm looking ahead. He says, I don't see any runners left ahead of us. <laughs> I, said, I said, Rick, I, I look behind us. He said, there are no runners behind us either. He says, yeah, but, you know, we talked for a little bit. I said, you know what? The only the advantage is we're going to be first and second in our age group no matter what. <laughs> that is awesome. So we, Mm-hmm. So you know you, you just you take it you take the positives out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I love it. Tell me what your like. What does your training look like now? Like on a month. I mean, you're training for a marathon, like miles per week. Like, do you do any kind of specific specific strength training? Any kind of specific nutrition? Like, what's your typical regimen? Sure. My, uh, I will tell you, my nutrition is borderline, you know, I eat enough vegetables and fruits, but it really isn't anything structured or that. Okay. Uh, 
my core training is very limited because one of the downsides of my uh, radiation is that it certainly messed up a lot of my insides. It's the nicest way to put it. Uh-huh. It's a family program. Mm-hmm. So it makes core a little more challenging. In terms of my training, uh, my, my coach has been now and has been for about 20 years, Jeff Galloway. Yep. Um, Jeff has set up programs for me. I'll run between 40 and 60 kilometers a week. Uh, I do uh, a little bit of speed work, not as much as I did when I was younger, a little bit of hill work, not as much as when I was younger, a lot more long, slow distance. Uh, Even days when I'm still feeling the chemo and I'm having a bad day, if I'm not running, I'm walking. At least I'll get the distance in. And if I accomplish the distance, I feel good. And more often than not, I meet people along the way who are also, they're walking, they're running, I'll chat with them, I'll make new friends. And those people, those people enthuse me, Sarah. They they get me going. If I'm feeling down, they'll bring me up. Yeah, no, I I love that, and I love like the ambition that you have. Like you already have a plan for like for what you're going to do next. I was gonna ask you like how far in advance, and and maybe go back, you know into like you know 25 years ago like how far in advance did you make goals then and versus now and has anything changed or do you feel like you still kind of keep that same strategy going sure the there was a period of time where i stopped doing marathons for about 10 years okay um i was doing smaller races but generally speaking i would pick one or two races that i wanted to do each year Mm -hmm. uh but I, i would be adjustable so I had planned, for example, uh, this is, um, I'm going to post first cancer. Uh, I plan to do the Tromso uh, Marathon, which is about 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle um, in June, during when they have 24 hours sunlight. Got up there, the weather was cold, the wind was bitter. Uh, my wife and I were doing the 10 kilometer the day before, uh, sorry, that the, the evening before, excuse me, because they run it at midnight. And even though I wanted to do it was signed up for the marathon, I checked I could move back to the half because I recognize I'm not up to it. Okay. It's not my day for that. So I wound up doing a half marathon instead. I did the 10K with my wife, and I got to give her such credit because she had the tenacity to finish that race. And it's hilly and cold and windy and brutal. Mm-hmm. But she finished it. I was very proud of her. And I went to do the half. And there were points when you're running against the wind and you're in the mountains. Uh, and it's almost feeling like you're running backwards, but you're there. I mean, you you feel so alive when you're doing it. And you've got people around you that are struggling, and we're all working together. It's, it's a great feeling. I did have a very unusual finish for that particular race. At the end, they have the race finishes off in the town of Tromso. Yep. Now, this is about 2 o'clock in the morning. There's nothing else to do in Tromso. Not exactly an exciting party town. So everybody is out at two o'clock in the morning and they're all drinking and they are all intoxicated. So they are cheering. And by the time I'm coming in, I'm really towards the very back. There are a few runners still behind me, but not many. And there's really nobody in front of me. They have a big jumbotron at the end of the race. And they, as they see you coming with a little more of a kilometer or so to go, they, they put your picture, they, they have a video of you of, of a jumbotron with your name. As I'm getting closer, these two young guys, both quite drunk, jumped onto the course. One of them, I remember his name is Paul. 
and they had saw my they saw my name on the, the um, jumbo, jumbotron, and one of them goes, you know, in his drunk voice, "Are you the Joe?" I thought, "Okay, the Joe, fine, yeah, I'm the Joe." They started cheering my name, Joe, Joe, Joe. They were all you know cheering along. <laughs> you know, slowly, you know, running along, and like I say they were sloshed. As we got 400 meters from the finish line, they had barriers up so we, they, at least we'd have a straight run right to the finish line. Well, they were trying to pull these two young men off the course because they weren't supposed to be on there. They pulled one of them. The other stayed with me. The one who was pulled off, he ran along the sidewalk, still screaming my name. The guy, Paul, was still screaming my name. The crowd suddenly got into it. They were screaming my name. And I was finishing the marathon with everybody yelling, Joe, Joe, Joe. I'm like, near last. I'm looking like death warmed over. But it was so exciting. I, I threw my arms up in the air with two feet of the, the piece of signs. Finished it like I was finishing first. Greatest finish ever. Wow. And it didn't matter where you finished. It's a fabulous memory. And I have always believed that you make memories while you make miles. Because it's the memories you make on the course, the people you meet, all of that, that constantly excite you and get you going. I'll have to write that one down. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. That's kind of one of those, that's one of those quotes I've never heard before, but it's definitely true. And I think I'm, you know, I'm almost speechless just listening to your stories, just because I think, you know, right now, you know, we're post pandemic and, and, and even now people are still like, life is so hard, you know, and I think we get in this kind of and I already mentioned it once, you know, not pity, but just, you know, kind of like, oh, it's winter or it's dark or it's cold or, and I mean, your energy, just the way that you speak about, you know, how you've been through these two, two bouts of cancer and, 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 you, the, and hills and heat and all these things. And you just talk so kindly about your wife and your family. And I wanted to ask quickly, like how you think, your attitude, your running impacted. I know you have a daughter. I like. How did that affect your family? Sure, I have a daughter and two sons. Okay. Um, one of my sons is actually running his first marathon with me in the spring. Very proud of him. Okay. Uh, he's with the Coast Guards on Cruise Bay. My other one's in Pennsylvania. Great, very happy, good family. I, I think I watched my family as they grew up. Uh, I'm very, very proud of my children. Because they take the same attitude. If they want to go after something, you go, you give it your best shot. Mm-hmm. And that's been my belief all the way through, even in runs. I know I'm not fast like I used to be. I'm certainly, you know, uh, I, I always joke after I did the marathon in Bordeaux, I intentionally had Escar go for dinner because I, the snails <laughs> eat me on the course. I was going to eat them at the end. Um, but <laughs> I watched their attitude towards life. And they go after life with a passion. They go after it and give it their best shot. And you know what? Sometimes you give it your best shot and it doesn't work. Yep. Then fine, you go on, you go on to the next thing. But you never miss the opportunity to try. And I think if you do that, your life is fulfilled. We go around, the old story is when we go around once. But I really believe I've been blessed with the opportunity to be able to, to do the races I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a lawyer, I do other things. I do volunteer work. I did before I got sick, uh, representing abused, neglected, abandoned children. You do other things that can help things, help people. And all of these things combined, especially with a runner's lifestyle, it makes our life so much more fulfilled. It's much like your podcast. When you people who will listen to your podcast, Sarah, they'll come away smiling. 
And if they come away smiling and they learn one or two things, what a win. That is such a great thing to give back to humanity for the gift that they've given us. Yeah, I mean, and just between you and me, if you figure even if one person's out there listening, maybe they're not feeling like going for a run today or just a walk or a bike ride or whatever it is. And you just remind them like the importance of like, you know, getting yourself physically moving no matter what usually helps your mental state of being so much. And I can only imagine that, you know, even though it had to be super hard to going through the treatments at the same time as trying to go for a walk or whatnot, like it had to give you the mental clarity. Do you have any specific books you recommend, any specific tools? Um, do you journal, like anything like that to keep your mindset too? Or do you feel like it's more just the physical activity? Sure. Um, I do keep a journal. I, I've kept journal for years. And and surprisingly, I do look back at it now and then. I look at the courses I've done before, um, you know, groups I've taken to see what challenges I've had, good and good and bad. Uh, I look at those days where I have felt like the last thing in the world I want to do is run. Yeah. So sometimes on those days, I've said, I just decided to walk instead. Yep. Or I have pulled back my pacing to a 30-second run, 30-second walk, because I know I can get through that day. Mm-hmm. And so there are things that you can do that can get you to, to motivate you. And, and there, look, I'll be honest, there are days where the last thing in the world I want to do is go out and run. Yeah. And sometimes you'll start off and the temptation is to get back in your car and go home, yeah. crawl back into bed, you know, and just veg out. But yeah. instead, I'll say, okay, I'm going to walk a kilometer. I won't run, just walk. Then the kilometer becomes two, becomes three. Of course, being Canadian, I say kilometers, you can say miles as well. I get it. But, you know, by the end, see, oh, I put five or six kilometers on. Yeah. I've walked, I, you know, my pace is, is very slow, doesn't matter. I finished. And, I feel better for accomplishing that. At least I gave it the shot. Yep. And sure enough, a day or two later, I'll have rest days, of course. I always take rest days. But uh, a couple of days later, I'll have a fabulous run. You know, it's like, where did this come from? I, you know, I was feeling so bad two days ago. Suddenly I feel better. And sometimes you meet people. I met people this last weekend who were running a turkey trot. Oh, last week, they we were running a turkey trot. They were in their 50s, just starting to run. I, you know, I just happened to meet them while they were warming up. We just chatted a little bit, suggested a running group for him, showed him one of Galloway's warm-ups that he, that he uses, uh, his cadence runs. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of the run, I thought, you know what? Maybe I hope I've gotten these two people more active in running. Yes. And I know when I left them, there were smiles on their faces. And if you can make somebody smile, it's a gift to yourself. It is. It is. No, that's beautifully said. Yeah. And I will put links in the show notes to the two articles that you sent to me, because I think they both tell your story really well. And, you know, sometimes people like to read versus listen. So we'll put both uh, in there. Is there anything else as we wrap up, like any last, you've told us so many stories. (laughs) I love it. And I feel like just the wisdom you've passed on, I think people are going to listen to this probably more than once just to soak up a little bit of your mindset anything else you want to leave in the next minute or so to to, you know the people out there that maybe are struggling a little bit well i've always said you know my my motto is make memories while you make miles as i mentioned before and you know i always finish off with cool runnings i'll talk about that first and finish with the other cool runnings is because i ran the marathon in jamaica and we were with a, a large group 
uh, on the backside of that coming back into the grill. And one of the girls noticed that there was a large uh, foggy cloud ahead of us. Yeah. It was the fog. <laughs> and I, I always joke, even though I'm sure it had no impact, but I always joke that I finished that race and my feet weren't touching the ground and I had the munchies. I don't actually smoke, but uh, that became cool runnings. Yeah. But, so, you know, but, but you always have, with every race, you always have those memories that you make. And you can make them yourself. You can have fun. You can talk to you can thank the volunteers. You can high five the kids. Um, there's so many things that you can do. And when you're training, don't hesitate to stop to talk to other people who are running, even if they're faster or whatever. They'll stay with you for a bit. You sure. will psych you up and we'll psych them. And that's what they'll remember. They won't remember the run, but they'll remember the people they met. Yeah. And I I've had the honor of meeting so many absolutely wonderful people over the years. Some I've kept in touch with, um, and they constantly inspire me. And I think it's that that keeps you going. And even on the let's say even on the days when it's bad, you can still get out. And that can be rain, it can be miserable weather. I won't run in lightning, but any other thing, you, you go out and you run in a in a miserable, rotten monsoon weather type day. Uh, here I'm in Florida right now, and when you finish, when you start, you think, oh, I shouldn't, I should definitely not running. I put my shoes yeah. up. I'm not going out in this weather. But if you do it and you come back and you've given it your best shot, whatever the time is, yep. I can guarantee that that day you are going to feel on cloud nine. You accomplished something. Yeah, and it's it's a I say it's a wonderful gift to ourselves. Yeah, I love it. And so, I mean, it's the holiday season, so I think we'll leave it at that. That it's a gift that we give to ourselves. And and just you being here, Joe, this was a tremendous gift to me and to everyone listening. So I can't thank you enough. And uh, I, you know, we'll have to have you come back after you do your next race and just hear that story too. But uh, thank you again for joining us on the Running After Age Forty podcast. Sarah, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on your podcast. I love it. It's inspiring and motivating. And that's what life is about, is attacking life and giving it your best shot. Thanks for listening to the Running After Age 40 podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to rate and give us a like in iTunes. Also check out our website, www.runningwithgrit.com for all things related to running over the age of 40. We have a special gift guide up for the holidays on the site designed to share stocking stuffer ideas and gifts for runners at pretty much every price. Thanks for listening.